It's the season finale of Behind the Dock, and in this very special episode, I sit down with Heather and BC as we give you our season overview. Hear the stories that didn't make it into the episodes, which films were our favorite, and how Behind the Dock came to be. Hi, I'm Heather Grayson, writer, producer, and director who craves passion in filmmaking, and documentarians are just that. I write fiction, but I love to watch the truth. My name is BC Wayman. I'm an actor, a writer, an entertainer, all sorts of creative endeavors. But what I love most, being a storyteller. It's why I love documentaries. They're extraordinary stories from everyday, extraordinary people. And I'm Sarah Wilgroup, the producer of Behind the Dock. Not only do I love movies, but I also work on them. This is Behind the Dock, and today we are behind the scenes of Behind the Dock. Documentaries teach us, inspire us, take us places we've never been before. Welcome, everyone. I'm BC Wayman. That's Heather on the other side. Hey! This is a special episode, Heather. We're going to uh, go behind, behind the dock. What? It's like like Memento or something. Like, it's just, we're going to talk to the producer, Sarah Wilgrube. I can't even believe it. This is special. This is really special. special. Behind the Dock has been a show that we hope you have enjoyed, and we have taken a deep dive into documentary filmmaking and the people that make them. We've had a great season one so far with a vast collection of amazing films, some hilarious, some sad, some inspirational, some head-scratchers, a little bit of everything in between. And we love having the opportunity to get to know the film directors, the producers, sometimes the camera people, sometimes the stars themselves of the show. So it's been a wonderful opportunity that Gravitas Ventures has given us to put together this show along with Evergreen Podcast. And with that, Heather, I think we got to bring in the, I don't know, is she like our third wheel? Is that I the proper she's, terminology? She's Part of the, the trilogy? Wizard? Is she the wizard? Are you the- a wizard behind the glass, Sarah Wilgroup? I am definitely the wizard <laughs> behind the glass. <laughs> Welcome the great, to the, the air. Great and powerful Oz. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we don't they don't get to hear from you, but this is Sarah Wilgroup. She is our producer. She is what makes this go. She's really all of the work. You know, BC and I just come in, we get to play, we get to have fun. And Sarah and Eric, who is our engineer, they are the ones that do the real work. Indeed. So, yes, and Eric Colt now, who is uh, not joining us on the microphone. He's a man of few words, but of many artistic and electronical talents. We uh, we appreciate Eric back there. And makes magic happen. Thank you, Eric Colt, now for that. But let's take a step back, Sarah. We got these films. We did 15 amazing documentary films this season. How did this whole show get started? I know that you found Heather and I, but how did Evergreen, how did Gravitas, how did Behind the Dock birth itself into existence? Actually, it was our CEO, Michael, who came up with this idea. I believe he met Nolan of Gravitas somewhere, and he wanted to form a relationship with them. And then knowing my film background, I was obviously the perfect producer for the job. So we had a couple meetings with them. I created the creative behind the show, and we gave it to them, and they liked it and started there. So for me, the reason I 
started looking at this was because I went on to um, the Cleveland Film Commission's website and saw that they were looking for somebody who wanted to be a host of a documentary podcast. And considering I probably watch mm, close to 14, 15 documentaries a week, whether it's a series or a documentary, I definitely... I was like, I'm on this. This is something I can do, yet I've never been a host of anything, nor have I been on the radio any sort. I'm not an actor, but I I had to do it because documentaries are just my heart. And I, I met Sarah. I did the worst interview ever. <laughs> Obviously, you did not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I at least, listen, I was shaking in my boots, but I loved every second. So I very much thank Sarah for believing in me. And I think BC has a much, a much better background in this sort of thing than I did. I was newbie. We did come at this differently. I was simply just looking for another opportunity to talk. I mean, that's kind of what I do to try to find those moments. And so in seeing that and learning, it was about filmmaking and documentary filmmaking, which I really enjoy watching. And then the opportunity to get to talk to people. You know, I like that experience. I like learning about what people's passions are and how they arrive at that moment, right? That's one of the questions that comes up a lot during the show is how did you make this documentary? What are you doing? And really, a lot of it turns out to be just hard work, waking up and getting your camera ready or being like live the stream and tossing your waders on at midnight and going in the river and filming. I mean, that's what it takes. It That is if there is a constant from all of our directors and producers throughout the show, it was wake up and do it. And so I think that's what, you know, this show is also. It's just we something that needed to be out there, something we wanted to learn about. And so to get a chance to talk to people and find out what they do. I always think that's very exciting to do. But I think it's been a good process. Heather and I did not know each other prior to the start, or Sarah. Nope. Or Eric. None of us really knew each other. So well, bring, I knew Eric. Well, you know, that happens. <laughs> What I thought was so interesting was that Sarah chose BC and I, which to know, so we are both gingers. So that's one thing. <laughs> two, <clears throat> two, we're very, BC and I are very similar in what we like, not only in like documentaries, but outside of documentaries. We think very much alike. So I thought it was really interesting that the, the hosts of the show are extremely alike in a lot of different ways. Part of your casting, because I did, a, I put a casting call out there on like Cleveland Film Commission, some other Facebook pages, I think. You guys were two of probably like 15 candidates. And I think I only interviewed three or four of you. And my boss, Bridget, she listened to like all the voice tests I did. And it was kind of great because we both just thought that the two of you together were perfect. And so far, we have been right. How about for you, Sarah? You come from, uh, you know, one of your jobs is in the traditional film world. It's the most important role on the set, script supervisor. Got to make sure we know what words are said properly. <laughs> um, <laughs> Except that you make fun of my job I do, often. Well, no, it's the same as Eric. We love you, but we only make fun <laughs> of the ones we, we love. Thanks for showing up today, Eric. Um, so... <laughs> Coming from the world of script supervisation, that's not even a word, supervising, (laughs) how has this process been producing, dealing with the filmmakers and directors? And I want to talk a little bit about how you chose the 15 films that we did. How has that process been taking over a behind-the-scenes kind of crew of a film to kind of running this whole mad little circus that the four of us do? It's like an intricate dance, just like filmmaking 
So as a script supervisor for all of those out there in the world who don't know. Oh, they all know, but tell them anyway. (laughs) They're dying with anticipation to learn. (laughs) We maintain continuity and we hang out by the director all day and we take notes for editorial about what's going on on set. And we translate pretty much everything that happens on set to editorial. But we also have to make sure that actors are saying the correct lines, that they're wearing the correct costumes, the right number of buttons are buttoned, they're holding their pen in the correct hand, like all the super teeny tiny and meticulous things. So I also knew when I was casting you guys that I needed people that were familiar with filmmaking. And you both did a lot of research. You guys came in and kind of like BC, you did like the most research on that like test video that I sent you. I was so impressed. (laughs) BC still does all the research, <laughs> let's be honest. I I try to fill in, but man, he's got it. I do like that part, though. I enjoy that. And I don't remember the test film you sent me. It's starting to come. I think it, it was, was a short it's on about coffee. coffee. No, it was, I was, thought it was coconuts. It what? was the coconuts. In um, the, uh, see, I don't even know. Yeah, it was like the shorts. very much reminded me of In the Belly of the Moon. It was that kind of style of documentary, like taking a look at. And all subtitles. Yes. I remember that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I do remember going to deep dive into like who directed it and made it and things like that. I think that stuff's fun. I think the the behind the behind stuff is really interesting to learn about. So we got together and then we got ready for our very first one, which I think we were both very nervous about. You sent us the film and I don't know. Let's go back. So our very first one before we reveal the title. I don't know what I expected when (laughs) we got started for documentaries, but I expected serious, real, important information that's happening. Not even so much a fluff piece, just like, you know, digging behind the scenes, maybe true crime. And then what shows up in my inbox? So let's get into it. Who let the dogs out? Like, who, who did let the dogs out? It's one of the great unanswered questions of our time. (laughs) Who Let the Dogs Out, a movie about the making of a one-hit wonder song, which we learned so much more about. But that was not what I expected to start this whole thing off. So I think starting with a, I'll say a movie about a silly topic, a serious movie about a silly topic was a great way to get it rolling. Heather, what was your first impression when you saw that our movie to kick this off was going to be about a song played at baseball stadiums that people sing along that kids sing? Well, honestly, I did not. I didn't expect anything. I wasn't thinking of—I had no preconceived notions, but I was really excited when Who Let the Dogs Out because if you all listened, I very much knew it because that uh, was—we played it all the time in my high school. So I was like, I know this song. Now, I realized that I didn't know half of what I actually knew. I like, it was not what I thought it was. And that's why we love documentaries is because we learned so much more about it. But I was excited to, to see it, and I thought it was going to be a lot of fun. And I was already like, all right, she's cool. <laughs> well, to be honest, I really didn't like documentaries before starting this process. Now I love them. Working on this podcast has totally changed my perspective. But as someone who didn't like documentaries, I was like, I don't want to start this show with like something serious and stuffy and boring. So when Who Let the Dogs Out came up in the list of, like, possible movies that I could do, I knew 100% that that was what I wanted to start the series with. It was so fun. We were all singing Who Let the Dogs Out in our heads over and over and over again. But it was also super relevant to my podcast work at the time because I had just gotten done licensing 
eight or nine comedy albums for another podcast that I work on. So copyright law was so fresh in my mind that it all just kind of went together perfectly. So do you watch all of these films before you give them to us? I watch a lot of them. Sometimes I'll just watch the trailers, and that'll give me a good enough idea if that's something I want to include in our season. But all the ones that I give you guys, I have definitely watched beforehand. I was just curious, of the 15 we did, if you had to watch 30 or so to whittle down to that number, or if you, like, how many was your initial list to choose from to get to the 15 that we ended up doing? Well, the list changed. Like, I probably have viewed over 60 different documentary trailers, at least. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What I like about the documentaries and how you pick them is that you pick them based on not only would you want to watch them, but if you think that other people, you're just sitting there if you're a brand new documentary watcher, which I think is great because you were. So I, when you picked all of these, you can tell like, okay, well, would I really love to watch something about World War II? I, I don't know if that would be the very first thing that I would want to look at when I was a, a first-time documentary watcher. So I think that all of these documentaries that you that you chose, minus one, because there was one that was chosen by BC— but <laughs> yes, there was. Yes, there was. I think that they were all really good because first time documentary watchers would be like, oh, yeah, okay, this is good. I can relate to this. I like this. I'm going to watch more documentaries. So that's what I really I liked about all of them. I mean, I am the girl who watches straight 16 hours of World War II history documentary. That is me. Ken Burns and I, we have a thing. He doesn't know it, but we do. I really appreciate that about all the documentaries you chose. Well, it says something because our first three films, you know, Who Let the Dogs Out with Brent Hodge and then Life Without Basketball, which starred Bakis Abdul Qadir and her story of dealing with basketball and her religion and trying to play professionally while dealing with those growing up aspects of life. And then Vinnie Tortorich in Fata Documentary. There are three very different films, right? One about diet and weight loss, which is a very popular trend these days. There's a lot of documentaries about food science, one about, you know, the human spirit, and then one about copyright law, which just happens to be wrapped around a brilliant hook, right? Right, a brilliant little chorus line. So it's really three unique films that started off with three very different kind of subjects. How did you feel, Heather, as you started to watch? We all say we watch documentaries and we do that, but now we're we're watching them, right? Watching them once, maybe twice, taking notes, then digging back into it and following up. Like, I don't watch a film and then go look. I'm not the type of person who would look up the person's life on the internet or Facebook. But now I do that. I watch these films and I dig deep into their lives and research. Has that been as enjoyable for you? Or do you find it takes away a little bit having to learn so much more about it? I think that if they were really bad documentaries, then yes. But I mean, I I think really so far the documentaries chosen have been really good and they've taught me something. Even with the next three documentaries, they were all very different. So just changing it up was really wonderful for me. And then whenever I got to know, like, by the way, uh, Belquis and her husband had a baby. And so congrats. So like now I'm following them and their lives, which I think is even cooler. I love it all. And I was going to say, like, you guys have both semi-formed relationships with different filmmakers, too. Like, Heather, I know you kept up with the guys from the Unknown Tour. BC, you were just telling us today how David from CBD Nation is going to be— Yeah, I'll be speaking at an event I host. So, yeah, so we have that 
these weird relationships that have formed outside of it from these folks that we just talked to for, you know, an hour or so like that. I think on average, we interview everyone for about an hour, 45 minutes to an hour, and then the shows end up being about 30, 35 minutes, give or take, with the film clips put into it. Oh, let me ask you that, Sarah, because uh, oh. I want to dig into the documentaries themselves a little bit about each one. The creation of the podcast itself. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't think I knew <laughs> until I heard the first one. I don't think you told me at all. Heather, I don't know if you knew this, that when you were going to intercut a lot of audio clips, some music, really make it a great production was that the plan always early on, or did you find our questions mundane and boring, and you're like, I need to spice <laughs> this up and put a little bit of footage into there? How did that production style come about that is behind the doc as we know it, with the interviews combined with the clips combined with some of the music? It was always the plan, so it's not that your questions are boring. I wanted, if like you hadn't watched the movie, that you would still be able to have some sort of idea of what was going on in the episode. So to do that, using movie clips was an automatic given. And then as I developed it a little bit more, like the introductions that we do, those are basically a small summary of the movie. So again, if you had never watched it, you can have a small idea of what's going on. I definitely recommend that everyone watches all the movies we've done episodes on because they're all fantastic. So let's go back. Let's hop in our way back machine here. When did we record Who Let the Dogs Out? Like six months from before this? I think it was in February. Yeah, February. uh, It was like right after Valentine's Day. Okay. So it's been almost seven months now since we've sat and recorded that. What do you remember, Heather, from Who Let the Dogs Out? Whether the film or the moment. I remember being very nervous, first of all, regardless of the film. Just sitting in here. And to further uh, pull back to fourth wall, I guess I always pictured, or maybe you thought, like, Heather and I are in the same room. We're in these two separate booths looking at each other through glass kind of thing. Like, we're stuck inside these uh, these rooms and we can only, you know, see each other through the wall. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say, I mean, I was really nervous, but what's what was good was that BC is really— He's very good at what he does. And so for me, I felt more comfortable with him kind of being able to take the lead. And then what we automatically did, because I don't even think we discussed it, we automatically just started pointing at each other or putting our hands up whenever one of us wanted to ask a question. And I thought that that was like, that was the first day. We were like, oh my gosh, we already have this kind of in sync. Even when we were at home, we would Remember we had our phones on? We were FaceTiming each other. It was very cool. It's an odd, learned skill to have three or four people in your head at the same time and not really be able to see them and then to carry on a conversation without over-talking. And we do some of that, and thankfully Eric is able to clean that up so it doesn't sound like it, but it happens all the time. But it's a weird thing to do to have all these people in your head. I think we had Brent and, was it Victoria? Um, Allie? Allie, yeah. I think we had Brent and Allie on our first show. <laughs> uh, that that's out, what we're Eric. talking about. Let's yeah, cut that out. Let's cut I'm, that out. I'm not cutting that out. <laughs> we had two people. That's how the that, that's how it starts. I'm usually like, is it two people or one people on that show? I don't remember. Two people or one people. Yes, two people or one people. It. That's Eric's question for me usually too because I'm that great at communicating with him. How many people am I waiting for in this squad cast? So we had Brent and Allie. So our very first show... We ended up, we're here in Northeast Ohio, Lakewood, shout out, uh, suburb of Cleveland. And then we end up in, I think, Vancouver and Toronto 
I think Allie was in Toronto and Brent was in Vancouver or something like that. So our very first one, we have people in totally different ass sides of the continent as we're sitting here right in the middle of them basically trying to talk and have all the different time zones and such. And it was a it was an interesting feat that when you hear it, it pulls together really well. But I think for our first show, I was really happy with Brent and Allie. They were really great to talk to. It was an interesting story. I mean, they kept it light and fun. So it was a really good one, I think, to uh, get ourselves comfortable and kind of develop some of those routines. I think some of my favorite moments are when BC, like, pulls out these questions and, like, just surprises the filmmakers about the knowledge that he has found on them. Like Paul and um, the strawberry um, the milk. Strawberry milk. <laughs> what else? Yes. What else, BC? Who else have we surprised? There was, oh, see, this is where I'm really, it's really bad with names. Uh, there was one we that was from, it's not Game Master. Well, you did geek out with Game Master for Game sure. Game Master I did. Uh, no, it was the one who was the waiter that was on the Kardashians. Oh, it's, yes, that was Charlie, right? Thought, yeah, that yeah, was Game Charlie. Master. That was Game Master. It was Game Master. I think everyone on Earth has played and enjoyed some kind of tabletop game. They're just so universal, whether they played them when they were younger, whether it's something they've learned to play when they're older, whether it was something that was within their family. Tabletop games are almost just a universal phenomenon. He was the director who, while it just shows you what it's like to make a documentary film, while doing that, he's waiting tables. And in the background, he happens to be on a uh, Real House or not. Was it Real Housewives? Yeah, it was yeah. Real Housewives. A Real Housewives episode where something. they kind of liked him and he was deemed the cute waiter. So after all this work he's done, he's still by far best known as the cute waiter for that show. That, by the way, Game Masters as I am a big board gaming <laughs> geek, was the one that I asked for, which Sarah's first reply was, oh, I thought that was boring, but okay. Sorry, filmmakers. <laughs> Turned out to be exhilarating and awesome and amazing, just like all the rest of them were. But I think our first couple, you know, Who Let the Dogs Out and Life Without Basketball were really interview-centric, where we really had to ask a lot of questions and work with our subjects to get all information out of them. Coming out, you know, my senior year, and I went to the combine, I played in front of all these scouts, and, and I'm just like, Kesey, you might not be a pro. I prepared myself to kind of be put in a place where I might not play. And actually, I wasn't thinking it because I was Muslim. It was because maybe I'm not good enough. Life Without Basketball, we had three people. Because we, remember Bill Quist, she came in yes. like later on. So we had three people. That one was crazy. So before COVID hit, I hired tape syncs to go and actually record the audio so that we could get the best recordings possible. And the tape sync that I hired, Bill Keese lives in Canada, and he was driving from New York, which should have just been an easy, I think, hour to hour and a half drive that he chose to do. But it was also during a snowstorm. So he wasn't getting till to Bill Keese's house until like super late, but I didn't want to lose her interview. But also John was in Abu Dhabi, so he was doing the interview at like 3 a.m. It's a great episode, but we had to overcome so many challenges for that. And my favorite part about the challenges of tape syncs and Squadcast is Eric's, he has to tell every single filmmaker, let's talk about your microphone. Let's talk about <laughs> And VC and I just love it. I, it's one of my favorite <laughs> things to start every episode off with is Eric's 
vast knowledge of microphones, because now I think he knows every single one, as well as what? Is, is it a PC or is it a yeah, Mac? PC, Mac systems, yeah. where the audio controls are. And, and it, I love it whenever they say, oh, it's Mac. He's like, oh, thank God. Like every single time. <laughs> if we have to put ourselves into Eric's handsomely haired shoes, he has this set up exactly how he wants it. The, the microphones are what he wants. All the information, the, the computer processing, whatever happens behind the scenes, it's what he wants. But we deal with people all over the world who have a variety of microphone setups from just the inline microphone on their laptop to a potential microphone set up with a mixer board in their house because they do their own podcast like Vinnie Tortorich, right? So we have mm-hmm. a variety of professional level studios to earbuds, headphones from the Xbox, these type of things. So to make all of those different aspects work. Every single week, he has to go through and grab a different type of microphone and make it sound and match up with ours. So as much as we give him crap and his pre-audio routine is very fun to listen to, he does an amazing job making it sound well. Oh, Vinny. Oh, you well, I was brought say, up Vinny. The first two I felt like were heavy interviews, but then we rolled to our third show, Fat, a documentary. We're in a war for information, and the fallout affects all of us. The media is just going to sell what people are going to buy. And if people knew the truth, they would know what to ask for. My name is Vinny Tortorich, and I've been in the health and fitness game for the better part of 40 years, specializing in weight loss. Over the years, I've seen everything come and go at least 100 times. But as a country, we've only gotten fatter. Vinny Tortorich, who was a talker, an amazing talker, let's just put it that way. The guy just was able to take over the show. And so it was one where after getting our feet wet and trying to understand how we like to interview people kind of turned us on our heels 180 a bit because now we are the ones who are kind of listening and trying to fight and he get was almost questions interviewing in. us yes it turned I mean, it, it a bit it's very it was a very different experience i will say even i think that's probably the only experience we've really had in that nature that was a lot of fun he really was interviewing you guys. Yeah. Like, I might have cut it out of the episode, but there were, like, he was using car metaphors, and he asked BC what kind of car he drove. But it was great. I mean, overall, we learned a lot. We did learn what kind of alcohol we can drink when we're on keto, you know? <laughs> I still think about him every time I had an IPA over the weekend. Every time I opened that IPA, I think about Vinny in my head. I still drank it. But I do <laughs> think about him, like, you know, scolding me for the amount of calories that are in my IPA. Man, I haven't had beer in so long. I don't even, I, I couldn't even tell you what it tastes like. Well, Vinny would be proud of you. If you want to go no sugar, no grains, you can't be, uh, you can't be rocking <laughs> the alcohol. So we might not be able to drink beer, but can we drink mezcal? Mezcal is a spirit that has been hidden in plain sight for far too long. Through clever marketing by the authorities, Mezcal was banished to the fringes of what was considered proper society to make way for brandies and Spanish cognacs. Mezcal is now a conduit that is helping to connect people to a profound heritage. BC, why don't you tell us about that morning? Well, that's the, <laughs> that's the only show that we drank alcohol during. <laughs> At nine in the okay. morning. Okay, well, first of all, I knew early <laughs> Everyone on. Everyone so. that employs us, please don't listen to this part. <laughs> ah, come on, we're entertainers. No, Sarah didn't. Sarah and Eric exactly. did. They're professionals. Sarah and Eric yes, did they not. did yes. not. We're hosts. We're entertainment, right? It's kind of like a rock star. No matter what you do, we're still awesome. Like You have to we, have that. We might have thrown a TV out the window. I don't know. <laughs> so we are doing In the Belly of the Moon, which is the story of Mezcal, which I didn't even know what it was, but it turns out it's, well, tequila is a form of Mezcal. So it's, you know, it's from the agave plant. I mean, it's about the production 
of the old school production of this, you know, spirit. And I had never heard of it. And then when I knew we were doing it, I said it made sense to buy it. Turned out buying it was a little more difficult than I realized. Like it's not readily available. And what is, is by far not the mezcal that they drink. And it just so happened that Sarah scheduled it at nine in the morning. Once again. It was not nine. It was 11. <laughs> but I think it was because they were in other parts of the country. Was it one in Germany for that one? Yeah. Germany, Germany. and Aruba. We have two, once again, dealing with that. So we're 11 in the morning, which, you know, it's pretty close to lunch. So I've, no matter what time, it could have been at 7, Sarah. We were cracking that bottle. So we brought the mezcal out and uh, took a shot. We have these little glasses. It was okay. It wasn't great. Heather's reaction, though, <laughs> not as <laughs> oh So if it makes the bosses feel better, Heather took one sip and was like, no. Nope. <laughs> not. Tequila and I are friends, but... Mezcal and I are not. It is a very different taste. I was curious, and now I am no longer curious. But that wasn't right. high-quality Mezcal either. Who told us that? <laughs> Eric. Eric Once did again, that, yes. audio engineer, Mezcal Aficionado, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Along those lines. So it was a low-budget, well, Mezcal. It did have the worm in the bottom, which I Ugh. never— I ended up drinking that whole bottle. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know. Did you eat I, the worm? No. I, I chickened out. You should have. I, I know. I should have. I uh, I was not able to. I want to talk about the Unknown Tour. There were five of us that quit our jobs and hit the road in search of the forgotten musicians scattered across the United States. As we hung around waiting for the bus to recharge, we reflected on the choir we met the night before. That one, I think, collectively made us all kind of have the, like, happy feeling. We all got goosebumps from it. And then the guys, remember, there were five in a room. Do you yes, remember I that do. in San Insanity? But it was so much fun and they were hilarious. And yeah, I I kept I kept in touch with them because they are a great group group of people. I mean, I think all of our filmmakers, I don't think any of them, they were all so nice and pleasant and wonderful and just ready to give us a great interview. I think that it, it was just so much fun, all every one of them. But Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B movie posters. And cartoons. Oh, yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place, the sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com. The Unknown Tour with all that music, because I'm a music person, and it was just beautiful, beautiful. I know, Sarah, you really love that one, too. I did. It gave me all the feels. Yeah, it did. It did. It was good. It was good. And, and just... I mean, I really enjoyed that one, and that that's one that really sticks in my mind. I mean, there, there are a couple that really stick in my mind. That one is one of them. For sure, Jasper Mall, because we all—I mean, I grew up in the—I I always say born in the 80s, raised in the 90s, and it really gave me the, the sense of, like, kids and gummo and stuff like that, just really cool sort of parts of uh, that kind of 
film. And and then we, like, discovered that there is a Aust- – he's from Australia, right? Yeah. Mike was? Or uh, New Zealand. New Zealand, yeah. He was, like, the New Zealand Tiger King, right? Yes. That's cool. That was fun. My wife, her company, they were over this mall. And then um, she got transferred. And I was coming through. I was, <clears throat> I was bringing tigers <laughs> to a zoo. And uh, I stopped by here to see her. And I, um, I'd come through when I was moving animals and stuff and stopped by and started, started coming in and uh, spending some time with her and stuff. And, and then um, the owner offered me a job. And I said, well, OK. So I've been doing it. I cry a lot, all right? I cry a lot when watching films. And I know that... He's a crier. I am. I probably cried during Unknown Tour, but I'll tell you the movie that I cried by far the most during, and it was definitely a whole, you know, just like cats in the cradle, like life. Live the stream? Yes, a thousand percent live the stream. What got me hooked on fly fishing? The interest, it was almost innate. It was there. I was bored with it. I've always felt strongly about it, a piece of water, a stream, like it's almost running through my system, my body. And I think that started at such a tender age. I love to play in the water. I love to wait in the water. I love to look for things in the water. And so it was just a natural. I've probably seen Live the Stream more than any of the movies we watched. I've rewatched it a couple of times. <laughs> the story of Joe Humphreys going along, living his life, drinking what still looks like the best darn coffee on the planet out of the natural spring water, doing his thing and just hearing his journey, regardless of the fishing and then that on top of it, it was just really emotional. And it really hit me in a spot, particularly today's world when everyone seems so busy and so absorbed with their own opinions, you know, and those things to just follow a man who has just done the best he can to be the best person, not flawless, but making mistakes and living life and just getting up early and fishing and teaching that to whoever wants to learn was just, I'm going to cry right now. It was just really, (laughs) it's really good. It just really hit me in a spot that really sunk home. That was one of my favorite films that we watched. BC, did you see on, because I, I mean, I know you're barely on Instagram, but I tagged you and Sarah that oh, he, I saw that he did what he set out to do. He caught the 20 pound brown. He caught the 20 pound brown. Yes, he did. Aww. Yeah, he did it like I don't know what was it a month ago, maybe two months ago, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was I saw that and I was like I tagged you both in it. I was like, oh my gosh, but yeah, it was it was it was really I loved it. I I mean, and to go back even. To go back to that, I mean, there were so many, so many of the filmmakers, when it comes to the documentaries that they made, such different, not only ways of how they got each of their documentaries funded that we found out. So, I mean, just such a different budget-wise when it comes to production value and everything else like that. But they were all so beautifully made and put together that in the long run, it's like, as somebody who's listening to our podcast and watching these films— you can really say to yourself, okay, looking at all these diverse films, I can certainly make a documentary with 5000 or if I can do it, I can make a documentary for 150000 You know, it's just, you know, but you can show that it's possible anyway. That's what I really liked about the start of the podcast and what we've been talking to the filmmakers about. Well, there's a gigantic difference, say, between the budget of Pigeon Kings. Roller pigeons are bred to perform. The average Birmingham roller can do four to five revolutions in a split second. We just try to get them to perform together. 
some like synchronized women. Watching them in their day-to-day life and watching these, um, you know, mostly young men in the inner city of Los Angeles and learning the sport of pigeon rolling and how it kind of keeps them off the streets and gives them these lessons in life to learn versus, say, and I don't know if the budget counts, but if you want to look at the budget of, say, In Bright Axiom, which is a gigantic thing, if you not only take the film budget, but Jeff's whole... I don't know what we call it, fakeness? I don't know what exactly, his whole experiment, well, art, 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 art experiment yeah. that he put on, which ended up being, you know. Immersive art experience. Yes. Our purpose is to create and gift experiences. Why? I don't know, so I'm, a- I'm asking you. <laughs> no, I have some strong thoughts about it, but why would you say, why do we do this? Cookies. Exactly. Okay, that's enough. That's enough. Experiences are the foundation for the world we think we live in, right? The experiences we have coalesce into the beliefs and ideas we hold to be true. So he spends a ton amount of money renting out buildings in San Francisco and putting giant on the 13th floor of a sky rise and a whole sand pit so people can go in and, you know, play in the sand. So those are two very different aspects. That was this little turn we took in the middle of it. We were kind of going along with these kind of human nature stories and following people along. And then all of a sudden, Sarah tosses in In Bright Axiom <laughs> and the house in between. So we got, now that was weird. It got weird there for a moment there. I don't know if you were feeling, we're getting all these happy-go-lucky stories of live the stream. And you then gotta like, get no, no. weird, BC. We gotta, gotta get, weird. get weird. So In Bright Axiom and the house in between were a little bit different. The house in between is, you know, a good old ghost story. There's something there that lets you know it's there. This house, it's really grabbed me. It's got its hooks synced into me. There's a lot of things that happen in this house that we can't explain. Done by the team that does that show, you know, Ghost Chasers, not Ghost Chasers, that's the fake one. Ghost uh, Hunters. Ghost Hunters. Yeah. Uh, that was the Ghost, ghost Chasers. the fake one on Supernatural. <laughs> ghost Hunters, right, from Steve Gonzalez, who, or Gonzalez. 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 Uh, you should know how many times we work on pronouncing the names. <laughs> like a hundred, because I'm terrible. It's one of the first things we do. I'm like, you need to say your name. We just say it again. I have to ask the guests to say their name again and again and again. And then the key is you only say it once in the beginning, and then you just never say it again, right? That's the key the, for the trick me is I make BC do it. The house in between in Bright Axiom brought a little bit different feel to it. While we're talking about the house in between, we have got to talk about what happened in the studio. So weird. And how it has literally never happened before, and we did not plan it. There were really Mm -hmm. ghosts in here shocking Heather. There was. There was. Not only shocking me, but then turning off the entire podcast in itself. Like, we could not talk to the guest. But what was weird is that they could they could hear us, but we couldn't hear them. It was so strange. Never happened before and has never happened after. And Eric has even cor- corroborated that, if I can even say that word, because he's worked here the longest. It was so weird. It does seem odd. And re-listening to it, it seems, it seems a little fake. It's not. I know it's that. Not fake. I know that because I was listening. I was there when it happened. But it feels that way because it's a show about spookiness and, and supernatural occurrences. And then during that show, we had these weird electrical surges, which were physically 
painfully tormenting <laughs> Heather because they, they were. would not just. I had nothing. She would just stop talking. I would, and that's all I would hear. But she was getting like a shock, which shouldn't be possible the way the voltage goes through these headphones. So having every time she would ask a question, it would happen. It went so much so that I started asking all the questions, <laughs> and I had zero problems. It yeah. was her setup, and it was they were odd. living through me. I mean, I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe BC, they just knew that you weren't a believer. They yeah. could feel it. Maybe. But I did like the house in between, how they tried to debunk their own stories by going to and finding, and I like that story about trying to find, Steve told about all the different geologists and scientists who would not even talk to them on camera because it was like, we're not talking about your silly, uh, your silly, silly ghost stories. And then we had, let's see, we did Tread. Hello. My name is Marvin Hemeyer. Today is April 13, 2004. This tape is about my life since I come up here in 1991. I am making this tape. Really didn't think it'd make any difference if I did make it, but a good friend of mine said I should make it. Well, he said I should sit down in front of a videotape machine and do it, but you're just going to have to take my word that this is Marv Hemeyer, serial number 503-689-471. I want to say right now, God bless me in advance for the task that I am about to undertake. Yeah, Tread was awesome. That was creepy. I mean, creepy in a different sort of way because he was the main character in, in Tread was a very disturbed and terrorized human being in his own mind. He obviously had some mental illness that was going on and terrorized an entire town. Um, so it's a very creepy film on another on another level. So Tread, though, had an interesting story that it was the 40th anniversary of that experience that happened in Colorado. And it also shares a special moment with you as well, Heather. Yeah, it happened on my birthday. It happened was, on your birthday. I was 24 that year, and that makes me obvious. I, I did not remember this occurring. I definitely was like, when he said June 4th, 2004, I was like, wait a minute. Well, no wonder I don't remember that. I was probably at a bar. It's clearly not the 40th anniversary, <laughs> as I just said then, because that's, if you're only 24, it's the uh, 16th anniversary then. Something like that. Uh, <laughs> good point. Yeah, it's a good point, as I said that. So I thought it happened when you were on the day you were born. No, no, right. no. it was just my twenty fourth birthday. Well, as I, as you're saying that, I'm like, hold on, because that would have happened in 1980. That footage was those cars weren't from the 80s. I was getting maybe sometimes Jasper Mall, you know, from the 80s. We're gonna swing this back around, you know. That's what made me think Let's of it. Save it, save Jasper it, Mall save in it. the 80s. Tread was um, 2014. 2014 was 2014. I think so. I thought it was 2004. We don't actually know, audience. <laughs> I'm sure I really we knew thought I we... was 24 because that's when I was turned 24. Anyways, I'm sure we. Well, you're regardless, probably, you're probably the most right because of your birthday. Exactly. Uh, I'm sure we knew it when we asked him and interviewed him. As we've talked, we have copious notes, uh, notes, notes before we record, and we fact check. So yes. just because I don't know now doesn't mean I didn't know then. Yes, we'll eventually find <laughs> out the truth. So tread came out, and then we wrapped up the last couple ones of our season. We talked a little bit about in the belly of the moon. That one, once again, half subtitled. Uh, not subtitled in Spanish without subtitles or translation. Yeah. So you just cool. kind of had to work through it. And I found myself becoming more immersed into the film because I didn't know what was being said. So you just started to watch 
these men work in, you know, in those fields and make the mezcal and things like that. So that was interesting. I liked that filmmaking. And it's so poetic. Like, it's not your typical documentary, just like Jasper Mall wasn't your typical documentary. They really, like, expanded the genre and made it their own. I think some of our final films were, I would say, traditional documentaries, but interesting in note. Say, CBD Nation and Happy, Happy, Joy, Joy. Both are talking heads with some animation between kind of the moments and then some research, while two very different topics, uh, you know, one, the boom and the rise of CBD and its use treated medicinally. When most of us think about cannabis, we think about people getting high. So the thing in cannabis that gets you what we call high is something called THC. THC is a compound in the cannabis plant, but THC is just one of hundreds of known compounds inside the cannabis plant, and it is the only one of those compounds that makes you high. These compounds are called cannabinoids. The two most commonly found cannabinoids in cannabis are THC and another one, CBD. And happy, happy, joy, joy. A single sentence explanation of Ren Stimpy. Who, let's see, where do you start? Um. Uh. That's a really hard one. How would you describe it? I don't know. Nothing else like it. It seems to be about a dog and a cat, but it's a lot more than that. It's an animated show about two friends who happen to be a dog and a cat. They, they live on the precipice of insanity and and death. The story and creation of Ren and Stimpy, of Spumco Studios, of John Kay, and then the quick demise of all of it. Both traditional style, two very different stories, but one's, say, for Happy, Happy, Joy, Joy, you know, that was, we talk about going back to our youth in Jasper Mall, a cartoon that Heather and I both grew up on, didn't really think much about. I was surprised to learn as a parent now how violent it was in some of the moments that happened on screen. It was a nice to see, you know, kind of learning about, same as Jasper Mall, some moments from your youth and kind of having, you know, some realities pulled back from there. My kids who wanted my, do- my two daughters, one is 12 and one is nine. I had them watch the episode of Ren and Stimpy, the fireman episode. I was watching it and I, my daughter looked over at me and she said, Mom, this is really inappropriate. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my goodness, that's right. I lived in a way different world than you do now. <laughs> you know, it's a, it, it, was, it was very, it's very so silly how you look back at things. But Game Masters was BC's choice. I, it was already on the list, but when Sarah said, do you, do you like anything? I was like, happy, happy, joy, joy. Like, I want to watch it because I was, re- I loved Ren and Stimpy. My, my whole family, we would sit down and watch it. Was, it was just something that we all really enjoyed and I loved it. So that was mine. But I mean, all of the documentaries in this particular season were so, were so different and well done and just a testament to, you know, not only the filmmakers, but documentarians and Gravitas for picking it up. Until about five or six years ago, were pretty hard to sell. I mean, I used to sell them. And <laughs> I'll tell you what, they were really hard to sell. It's such a different world, and I can't wait to see what more we have for next season. I think 
in general, watching documentaries and having this preconceived notion of what they are, watching 15 different ones in a short amount of time, the different types of filmmaking techniques used, none of which I knew the terminology heading into it, and I learned a lot throughout it. But whether it's, you know, the animation or whether it's just straight footage, a great drone shot, which you know I love. Oh, I love boy. a good drone shot when they toss in there. You can make a drinking game out of drone shots in BC, I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, we'd all be hammered on Mezcal very, very quickly, though. All those different aspects of styles of filmmaking, it's not just one type. And we are in a boon right now, 2020, with shows like Tiger King or McMillions. You know, we've had a big documentaries, as Heather said. The last couple of years have seen that embracement. And if you go to any streaming service, we'll probably all have a few, the documentary section is always full of new movies and interesting titles. And every day there's a new one that seems to come across that talks about, you know, some subject that really gets into people. So documentaries have really taken off. We're in a time of information. And I think that really is a way to get information across in a very easable, easy to view way. So I'm really excited to watch these different films and their stories, the people that went through them to see, you know, what happens in next season, what films we get and learn their stories before we sign off, what was your favorite episode of the podcast? Go. My favorite movie is Live the Stream, just for a lot of different reasons. So my favorite film watching it, and they all were good, but it just hit me in a way on an emotional level that I can't describe. My favorite episode in re-listening to it might be in Bright Axiom. I think uh, he was just an amazing interview and really one that we weren't, uh, we weren't sure how to handle in Bright Axiom because it is a documentary on a thing that's not real, but people thought it was real kind of vibe. So was he going to play it straight or are we going to pull back the curtain? We weren't sure. And he was just all in. So that was one of my favorite interviews and might be one of my favorite episodes. Heather? I'm going to have to say I don't have a favorite doc because I, I, I loved— the Unknown Tour, I loved In Bright Axiom. I loved Jasper Mall. I loved Live the Stream. They were all just so good. But So I can't pick one of the favorite of Docs, but I will say that my favorite interview was probably, I'm going to have to agree, I think In Bright Axiom was super fun. We didn't know what was going to happen. We really had a script of how we were going to play it, and then all of a sudden it was, oh, okay, well, this is way more interesting and cooler than I thought this was going to be. It was definitely a lot of fun. But I do think that the Unknown Tour was my favorite interview because at the end, the entire group of guys told BC and I that it was the best interview they've ever done. <laughs> so I got to say that was that was awesome. And uh, Jasper Mall, I really loved that one too. Oh man, I, I just can't. I, I'm not a, I'm not a favorite. I it's like decisive. having kids, though. It like, is. Like, you always have a favorite. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but you always have one, <laughs> right? Daddy, Daddy, Daddy loves you all. But you always have one that really is your super favorite. So it's kind of like that. As you said it, though, as I'm starting to think through the episodes, I remember Who Let the Dogs Out all the way back to Brent Alley, kind of that first one. So there's it's a lot of them tough. that stick out. You know, The Unknown Tour is a great one. I mean, and Richie and his dad, I've, with We Stand Corrected. But the officer has no need to know what an inmate has been sentenced for. The only time we know that information is if you take an inmate out on a medical trip or a court trip, you're going to look at his record and see what he's in for, see whether he has any escape attempts. Remember the song? You, like, went ballistic over the song. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't awesome know. Song. It was just, it was so, 
I don't know that I I can't I can't pick a favorite episode. I loved them all. I think they were all done really well. I love how the audio clips are in there. I very much love that she picks the best questions that PC and I both ask. We get cut into like a great episode and it all sounds really well finished. It's polished, well manicured. She makes me sound good. I think my favorite documentary was Jasper Mall because I just feel like it was so similar to Gummo. It was crazy. And I think my favorite episode is also in Bright Axiom across the board. Thanks everyone for listening to our bonus episode and thank you for listening to our season and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Behind the Dock. If you liked us, because we all know you did, leave us a review in your Apple Podcast app. Behind the Dock is produced by Evergreen Podcast in association with Gravitas Ventures. Special thanks to executive producers Nolan Gallagher and Michael D'Aloya. Produced by Sarah Wilgroup and audio engineer Eric Coltmau. And you'll find us everywhere and anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.